Philippians chapter 4. If you brought your Bible, turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4. Just four chapters. So we've been looking at this over the last four weeks. We've been looking at a different chapter, and I've encouraged you to read that chapter beforehand. So hopefully you've already read Philippians chapter 4, and and, uh, you know some of the things that are in it. Uh, What I want to do this morning is pull out five principles uh, that kind of jumped out at me that I thought were appropriate for our church. We're calling it the New World Order because once you step into the kingdom of God, you step into another realm. It's a spiritual realm. Yeah, you still have the natural realm affecting you, but there's also a spiritual realm uh, that we step into. And there are altogether new rules and laws in the spiritual kingdom. And so what we're doing is we're trying to discover what these principles, these laws, these concepts are so that we can be everything the Lord wants us to be. So Philippians chapter 4. Before I share what those, those are, let me just mention that a bamboo seed is a pretty tough thing. It's, like, it's got like a, almost a leather-like coating around that seed. And what they do with a bamboo is they'll plant that thing in the ground, and they'll spend all year watering it and fertilizing it. And nothing happens. The second year, they water that seed, and they fertilize it, and nothing happens. The third year, they water the seed and fertilize the seed. Not a new seed, the same seed, and nothing happens. The fourth year, they do the same thing. They water it, and they fertilize it, and nothing happens. On year five, five years later, they water that thing, they fertilize that thing, And suddenly, in the fifth year, it sprouts out of the ground and shoots up like a rocket 90 feet in three months. Now, my question is, did that thing grow 90 feet in three months, or did it grow 90 feet in five years? It's a matter of perception. It takes a while for that seed to get softened up enough that it can germinate and break free and become life. And for a lot of people, it's like that. I've known people in our church that have attended here for a long time, and we don't see a whole lot of fruitfulness. That's okay. But suddenly something happens in their life, and the life on the inside just explodes out of that, and it begins to grow. It's amazing. Some people take off growing on day one. Other people, it takes five, 10, 15 years for real life to break free and begin to grow. My point is we're talking about growth, Christian growth, spiritual growth. It takes a while to mature. So in chapter 4, we see he's talking about growth. He's talking about maturity. And he, in verse 1, he says, therefore, so what is that word therefore? Therefore is there because he's trying to culminate everything he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's bringing it all to a head. He's bringing it to an application. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, notice who he's talking to. He's talking to you, brothers and sisters. You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So he's 
caring about them. He's not putting rules on them. He's caring about them, telling them how they can step up and, and grow and expand and be what the Lord wants. So these, these five principles, I'm going to read them one at a time. Here's the first one. It's in verses 2 and 3. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Here's the first point. He says we need to learn to be peacemakers. Learn to be peacemakers. Each of us have our own opinions, and we believe enough in our opinions, we can stand our ground. We can stand firm on those opinions. But there's some things we're seeing just from our perspective. And somebody else is looking at the same thing from another perspective. Don't they do that in Washington all the time? They're looking at the same perspective. We need to learn to be peacemakers because Paul tells us that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Do we understand what reconcile means? It means to be brought back together. So a ministry of reconciliation is a ministry of bringing people back together. Yes, it's primarily bringing people back in relationship with Father God, spiritually speaking. But it also has to do with reconciling broken human relationships. We're humans. We are broken people. And we get our feelings hurt. And we get offended. And we have different opinions than someone else. But we have a ministry of reconciliation. So Paul says, there's two women in your church. Euodia and Syntyche. And both of these women have worked alongside me contending for the faith. But now they've, they've got a problem. And they can't seem to get it back together. So what's he, what's he tell the church at Philippians? Or Philippi? He says, help them. Help them. One of the things that you and I need to do is we need to help people figure out how to get on the same page. They need some help in Washington. They need to learn the art of the deal. You can never win a deal by saying right off the bat, I demand this. And you're never going to be able to work out a deal by saying, there, I will never do this. That's not a, that's not a conversation starter. The, the art of the deal is to sit down and listen to the other person's interests and what they hope will happen and what they're interested in. And then trying to figure out how to way to make them happy and you happy at the same time. That's what we call a deal. Pretty quiet in here. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 12 verse 20 says this. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil. But those who promote peace have joy. We, all of us in this room, we're, we're old enough to have had experience where there's a clash, a clash going on with somebody. We didn't see eye to eye. It was an argument over something and probably had nothing to do with the Lord, but it was something we had a clash about. 
and we can remember how that made us feel at the end of the day when we went home. Tension, anger, fear that maybe we'll lose our, our side of it. But those who promote peace, those who promote peace, put that scripture back up because I forgot the last word. Oh yeah, have joy. You can go home at the end of the day and have joy in your heart even though you might, you might not be on the same page because there's peace. Peace is better than being afraid somebody's going to stab you in the back first chance they get. That's, no, that's not a fun way to live. Now notice, he says, I hope that they will be in the same mind in the Lord. We typically put our focus on they need to be in the same mind. Everybody needs to get in unity on the same page. Well, we're talking about in the Lord. There's a difference. There's nothing wrong with having a different opinion. Every year at election time, I go to the polls, and I pretty well already got my mind made up who I'm going to vote for. But I'm standing in line with people who are going to vote for the other, the other person. I know that. It's okay. That's America. That's how democracy works. I'm not going to change my vote because of somebody else's opinion. We need to be in the same mind in the Lord about godly things. Paul doesn't comment on Yodia being right and Syntyche wrong. He doesn't even comment on that. He said, both of them worked side by side with me. They understand the gospel. They, how, they know how to lead people into the grace of God. They know how to do that. Let's get them on the same, same mind in the Lord because apparently whatever conflict they had was spilling over into their faith. And they weren't able to live their life like the Lord wanted them to live. So the challenge is, help them. And I want to encourage you, you probably have in the workplace or in your classroom where you spend a lot of your time, you probably have a Euodia and a Syntyche. Might be two men, might be two women, might be older folks, might be younger folks. But every place you go in this fallen world, there's going to be a Euodia and a Syntyche compared competing with one another. How, how many have seen that in your life? You're always going to see that. But the challenge for a Christian is to be a peacemaker and somehow try to bring peace between your Euodia and Syntyche. That honors God. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, it says, When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, He, the Lord, causes their enemies to make peace with them. When you please the Lord, God gets involved and makes even your enemies to make peace with you. You can try to make peace and it just blows up in your face, but the Lord will work behind the scenes and change things. So let's be peacemakers. Amen? That's the first thing he tells us to do in Philippians 4. The second thing is found in verses 6 and 7 where he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. That's the second thing we need to learn. We need to learn not to worry because we all tend to be worry warts. It's the, it's the default position being humans. We all want to win, but we're all afraid we're going to lose. We all want to be successful, but we're afraid we're going to fail. It's the, way, it's, it's the natural thing. So we spend a whole lot of time worrying, which never changes anything. Doesn't make anything better. We just sit and fret about it. So he gives us the antidote for worry. And the antidote is pray. Because when you pray, you are venting your fears to God. You're venting. It's like a boiler building up pressure. More and more pressure, more and more and more pressure. And a boiler has a relief valve. And you turn that valve and you let off the extra. You ever seen an old steam engine? And you'll see it go, and out the side will come this big roll of steam. It's doing nothing for the engine. It's keeping it from blowing up. It's trying to keep it under controlled pressure. And you and I, sometimes we get ourselves under so much pressure, we need to turn the relief valve. And how you do that in practicality is you just talk to God. You tell your frustrations to God. You yell at God. You rant at God. It's a relief valve. It lets it out. And God hears every word you say and never gets offended. He's a big boy. I remember years ago, I was a student at Christian Training Center, and I was in classes in the morning. And then we had, like, uh, we had to work in one of the ministries of the church in the afternoon. But Wednesday afternoon was free time. That was time to catch up, do homework. Um, and my, the place where we had classes is in, in the uh, Salvation Army building down on Clinton Street. And right behind that uh, was St. Lever Park. It's an area next to a creek that flooded every year, so they never could develop it to turn it into a park. And I remember that day, uh, they came in at the end of the class time as we were getting ready for lunch and announced that all the CTC students were going to get in a van and we're all going to drive up to Camp Calvary, which has just opened up, and we're going to rake leaves. And I thought to myself, we're in a woods. We're going to rake leaves in a woods. This is my Wednesday afternoon. I've got responsibilities. I'm working a secular job at the same time. I've got youth meeting tonight, and my only time to prepare a message for the teens is in Wednesday afternoon. I've got to have Wednesday afternoon. And I was mad. I was mad at God because God's supposed to understand the pressures and stresses I have. And I remember I set my sandwich aside and I walked out the back door and I walked across the parking lot down into St. Liver Park and there wasn't anybody there. It was noontime, middle of the day. And I started walking and I, if I'd see a stone, I'd kick that stone. I was mad. And I let God know what I thought. I did everything but cuss at him. I knew better than that. Lightning would have come out of a clear day and got me if I did that. But I told God what I thought. I ranted, I raved, I was angry. And I was over there for about 20 minutes going off on God. 
spewing on him, vomiting everything I was feeling out on him. And when I got all finished, I just thought, I got to get back in there. I got to get working on my message because we're going to leave here in just a little bit. And I walked back in and I sat down and the same person came back in and said, I just want to straighten everything out. It's not the CTC students that are going up there. It's, it's another group. And I sat there and I thought, what was that all about? Why did God allow that to happen to me? Why, why did he first let me think I was being treated unfairly? So I spewed all this anger out, and then it was nothing at all. And I realized God just wanted me to talk to him about my real self. He just wanted to hear what I was feeling and what I was thinking and what I was, what I was fearful of. And when we just pour that out to God, he understands. He already knows how I feel. He's just waiting for me to communicate it out. So the antidote for anxiety and worry and fretting and fear is to talk to God and pour your heart out to him. And if you're angry at him, tell him you're angry at him. He can deal with that. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Here's another way to solve anxiety, if you sense you have anxiety, because it weighs you down. It's like, it's like going out to do a workout. You're going out to walk or you run, and you have this extra weight on you. It just slows you down. You can, you can still do it, but it puts extra pressure on you. Worry is extra pressure. If you're worrying, why would you want extra pressure in your life? So we tell it to God. We vent it to God. And the result of that is the peace of God. Not your peace. God's peace. How much peace does God have? What's God worried about, do you think? I don't think he's worried about anything. This world can go to pot. God's not worried about it. He's provided a redeemer. And anybody that wants to step into that redemption embraces it and has it. And those that don't want to step into it just continue to go through a life of stress and worry and fretting. And it says when the peace of God comes on us, it guards both our heart and our mind, both how I feel and how I think. I need to do some more venting to God because I need to learn not to worry. That is something we have to learn. Somebody say amen because this is good stuff. I'm preaching to me. Here's the third thing in verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So here's the key. We need to learn to think positive. 
A positive thinking isn't the solution. We have to think that God is a good God, therefore he's doing good things in my life. Just positive thinking without having anything behind it just changes the way you think. It doesn't change circumstances. But we need to think positively. We need to be positive people. We need to be able to lump the things our life is exposed to into the negative camp and the positive camp. And what do I want to saturate my mind and get in to affect my soul? And don't expose your soul to negatives. Now, the next time you sit down to listen to the news, ask yourself after you've heard a couple news stories, is this negative stuff or is this positive stuff? Even if you agree with what the news reporter is saying, I think you're going to have to say, that was a whole bunch of negatives. They're against this, against that. Somebody said so-and-so, negative, negative, negative. It saturates our soul. It gets down into our being, and we become negative people. I don't want to be a negative person. Now, a lot of you know I'm, I'm into the news. I want to know what's happening in current events. And I've learned to read the headlines and move on to the next headline. I want to know what happened. I'm not interested in your commentary on why it happened and what the result's going to be. I just want to know what happened. And so I, I, I look at Fox News and I read the headlines. I don't want to hear their commentary because it's negative. And then I get over on CNN News and I read the same headlines from a different perspective, but I don't want to hear what they say because it's all negative. I want to know what's happening but I don't want to saturate my soul with negative, negative, negative stuff because then I become negative. And I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive. I want to be a positive person. I want you to be a positive person. Because Romans 8.28 gives us this principle. And we know, everybody say, we know. This is something we're supposed to know. We know that in all things, everybody say, all things. That's good and bad. All things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice there's a condition to this promise. You have to love him, and you have to have been called according to his purpose, and not your own purposes. You don't just use God to be successful. You let God use you to make him successful. There's, it's a whole different strategy. And God is going to work all things for the good. So even if a bad thing happened, and I can't figure out why, how God can see this as good, I need to understand God's going to take that bad thing, and he's going to work it into something good. If I keep my heart right. Understand what I'm saying? I have to keep my heart right. We have to look at, a, at the circumstances in our life and we have to see positive, the opportunity, what could happen, and lift up our eyes and expect God to work something good out of it. Behind my house is a small field. Behind that is a woods. And on the other side of the woods is Cedar Creek. It's the main drain, so we get to see a lot of wildfire, wildfire, a lot of wildlife back in there. 
And back along the edge of the woods behind my house, wild raspberries grow. Now, I love wild raspberries. I know you get more seed than you do fruit, but I like wild raspberries. I like to collect those in season, put them in my cereal. Just makes everything better. But I also noticed that wherever there's wild raspberries, which is a good thing, there's also poison ivy, which is a bad thing. Poison ivy hates me. It, it, it just jumps out and infects me. Uh, and so I've tried to spray the poison ivy, but I discovered every time you, you spray the poison ivy, you kill the raspberries. So I've come to the conclusion the only way to get to those free raspberries is to wade through the poison ivy. Application is sometimes the only way to get to the positive is to wade through the negative. It's a fallen world. There's negatives all around us. Everybody you talk to has got a negative story. Pray for me for this. Pray for me for that. There's always something negative going on. We need to wade through the negative to get to the positive. So we need to sanctify ourselves, sanctify our minds, sanctify the way we think, keep ourselves separated for a holy purpose. Think positive. I'm an American. We like options, don't we? I like choices. Later today, I'm going to sit down in front of the TV. Not because that's my plan. That's what I always do. I've, every day, I find a place to sit down and watch something on TV. I like old westerns because they always have a happy ending, and I want to think positive, not negative. My wife likes these mystery whodunits. So we got choices. But do we have too many choices? Who needs 200 channels to choose from? But we think we do. Because you got to get to 200 to get the four or five you really want to watch. If you go to Kroger and you decide you're going to get some cereal, how many choices do we have in the cereal aisle? Makes your mind go crazy. You want to get some bread. They got a whole aisle for different kinds of breads. How many options do we need? How many choices do we need as Americans? If you're going out to eat today, after, after we get finished, you're, you go out, you're going out to a restaurant. If you choose to do that, you're probably going to, somebody's going to ask the question, where do you want to go today? Well, I don't know. Too many choices. If there was one restaurant just down on the corner, that would be fine. And when you, when you get to those places, I don't know about you, but my man, mind goes into a blur when I look at all these menu choices up there. Wow, I don't need that many choices. But we like options, don't we? One of the best things about being American is we have options. But we have a problem because we don't know how to choose wisely. That's the problem. Too many options just blurs the, the, the possibilities. So think, think on the positive. Here's number four, the fourth thing. 
Learn to be content. Oh, that's a hard thing in America. We're never content. We always want a little bit more, a little bit bigger, a little bit faster. I'm getting this from uh, verses 11 through 13. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. He just talked about an offering that they had sent. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. I can do anything God's asking me to do through Christ. That's a scripture that you might have, have sometime have memorized. You put it up on your refrigerator. But did you understand what the context is? The context is I can do all things whether I have money or whether I don't. Whether I can afford it or whether I can't. If God asks me to do it, he will carry me through. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in the context of learning to be content right where you are. I remember years ago I was working in the factory and I was not content. I did not like that place. I had been through Bible school. I had had opportunities to go out and preach in other churches. And I was waiting for God to lead me to the next opportunity. I was not content. But I couldn't figure out why God wouldn't open a door. And one time I was talking with somebody else who did not like the job any more than I did. And we were both kind of complaining about it. And this thought came to my mind, and I told him, I said, you know, maybe it's because you're not content. Maybe if you would be content with where God placed you right now, God could move you on to something better. And as soon as I said it, I thought to myself, that's not a message for him, that's a message for me. And I began working on contentment. I began telling myself... Would I, would I be happy with God if this was my destiny? If I, if I continue to work in this place till I retire? I would not be happy with me, but I, if God says that's his will, then I'd be content. And I learned that I have to be content. And when I finally worked through that in myself, and I finally came to a place where I said, okay, I need, I need to deal with this. This is, if this is where God's placed me, I'm going to be content. And when I finally settled in and got content, God opened the door. So maybe there's a message in that for someone here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to have my stomach growling, and I know what it is to be filled. I've known both sides. I've learned to be content wherever I am. Contentment is really hard thing for us 
because we Americans, we've seen, we've seen success everywhere. We want to be successful. We want to be ambitious. But we need to understand that God's working in us right where we are. We need to settle into this contentment. There's a, uh, back in the early 1800s, like about 1805, something like that, there were some German Lutheran uh, immigrants that came into our country that weren't happy with the Lutheran church. They didn't think the Lutheran church went nearly far enough in establishing a life that Christ had intended for the church. So they came down the Ohio River from Pennsylvania and up the Wabash to a little community in southern Indiana called New Harmony. Down in the, if you can visualize the state of Indiana, it's down in the toe. And they, asked, they, they pulled their money. Everybody put in whatever they could from the old country, and they purchased 70,000 acres down in, in that part of the wilderness at that time. And they decided they were going to establish a true Christian utopia. And so they went in there and they worked together to build each other houses. And nobody said, this is my house. Nobody said, this is my land. They, it was a commune. And everybody worked for the common good. They worked together to cut down the trees. They worked together to till the soil, to put in the seed. They worked together to harvest the seed, and they put it in a community warehouse. And nobody had too much, and nobody had too little. Everyone loved one another because that's what the Bible said they should do. No one was in competition. No one felt like they were under anybody else. It was exactly what you think Christ would want the world to be. But there was a problem with that. Word got out. Word got out that this was a place where they loved you, they took care of you, they watched out for you, and other immigrants began, come, began coming from Pennsylvania, down the Ohio, up the Wabash, and they settled in this commune at New Harmony. And people began expecting everybody else to take care of them. They took advantage of the system that someone else had paid for. They wanted the blessing without the investment. They didn't want a sacrifice, but they wanted to be, they wanted to return for themselves. And it bankrupted the system. And they ended up, the leaders ended up selling that land and going back to Pennsylvania because it was a disillusioned dream. It was a great idea, but it couldn't become reality. I think God wants us Christians to understand we walk with him hand in hand. And it's not, it's not a, a communal property thing that he's, not, he's necessarily looking for. It's a communal heart that we're constantly watching out for each other, trying to help those that aren't where, where we are. We be content right where we are. All right. Got a little bit of time. Let's go to number five in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. Starting in verse 14, excuse me. Yet it was good of you to share in my, in my troubles. 
Wherefore, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And here our point begins in verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul said, my God, and I have confidence in my God, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus has everything from the Father, right? So everything I need is supplied. So here's the, the fifth thing. We need to learn that God always provides. He always provides. Amen. Doesn't do it like I think he will. Doesn't do it like I think he should. But God always does it, and he does it in a surprising way. That's the neat thing about God. You never can figure him out. He's always going to pull a fast one on you so sooner or later. The lesson we learned from what we just read is that supporting the mission of the church, and I'm not talking about the mission of New Hope, the church altogether, so getting behind the mission of the church, financially supporting the mission of the church, stores up treasures in heaven. That's what he's saying. I want it to be credited to your account. Now, I know that there are churches that will put a, put a box in the back of the church and won't say anything about it because they, and, and for people that want to support the church, they can put their money in it. But those that don't, that might offend them. So that way we never have to talk about money in the church. I know churches do that, but I want to develop you. I want to challenge you. And us Americans, we, uh, American Christians, we are all on the lazy side. Somebody's got to push us a little bit or we won't do what's good for us. So I would prefer to pass an offering bag and every week let you have an opportunity to say, this is what I want to do for the mission of the church. And some of us pass the test real well, store up treasures in heaven. Some of us don't pass the test very well. Every week, it's a choice. And I want you to know what the, res what the result of your choice will be. It benefits you. Paul says, I'm not asking you to send more money because it benefits me. I'm asking you to send more money because it benefits you. It buys you into the, the mission of the church. And Paul says, my God, my God that I have confidence in is going to meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Illustration. Um, years ago when our church was new, 
we took a big step and we purchased a van. We had a, a bus that we inherited from the previous church, uh, but we wanted to get a vehicle so that the pastor, me, could had a vehicle to, to do hospital visits and church business and that kind of thing. Uh, so we purchased a van. It was an old beater. It was a 1970s green Dodge van. Big eight-cylinder engine sitting right between the front seats. Just kind of rumbled down the road. And to check the oil, you had to take that cover out. And we used it to pick up kids on Sunday morning and some people that didn't have transportation. We would, we would pick people up and bring them in on a Sunday. And the kids that we picked up called that thing the Green Monster. And it was a name that kind of stuck. Now, it was a vehicle, so we used it, but it didn't put a big smile on my face. It was a gas hog, too. Anyway, we don't have a green monster anymore. Now we got two nice vans. At least one nice van. <laughs> but you see, we had to, our church had to grow out of the green monster to where we are today. The beginning never looks very good. Have you ever, you ever seen a house when they've just started it? They go in with a, with a bulldozer and the backhoe. It's an ugly mess. Everything starts like that, and then it grows. The green monster started there. It worked. It functioned. It did what we needed it to do. It did the job, but we've grown out of the green monster. And I'm just wondering if we maybe have some people here today that are still in the green monster stage of your spiritual life. And you feel like there's this big obstacle, there's this big thing holding you back and you want to move ahead, but you just feel like it's holding you where you are. I believe God wants to deliver you from your green monster. Let's stand together. So I'm, I'm asking... Do you feel like you're stunted in your growth? Do you feel like you're not that much further ahead than you were a couple years ago? You're not advancing because Christianity is always growing. It's always moving ahead. It's always expanding. You can't stay where you are. And sometimes a green monster is sitting on us, and it's holding us back. And we want to move ahead, but we can't move ahead. It's our green monster. I want to pray for deliverance from the green monster. If you feel like you've got a situation like that and there's this big monster standing between you and God where he wants you to go, would you leave your seat and come down to the soldier? Because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for deliverance. I want to pray that God makes you content and then moves you on to the next level. out there in these seats 
you know what it is to be to have a green monster sit on you and now you've moved on you're not there anymore can we have some folks like that that understand what it is for deliverance that come up behind them so we've got they've got brothers and sisters God, gracious God, gracious God. Merciful Heavenly Father, we pray for these that have come forward. They know what the green monster is. They want to move on. And Father, you've taught us some things in Philippians chapter 4 that we need to apply to our lives so that we can move on. And we just pray right now that whatever that is that's anchored us to the past, whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever it is that's keeping us in this place, we pray that that's going to be broken and lifted in Jesus' name. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring renewal, to bring new life. Father, breathe on us through your Spirit. Let the wind blow through this place. New wind, new wind, new life. Father, help us to breathe deep your presence, to sense what you're doing, to bring a newness. And Father, if there's something we need to change, if there's an attitude in us we need to change, show us how to do that. Show us how to keep going back to you in prayer and opening up that relief valve and venting to you, Father. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do that. And teach us how to find renewal in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God is good. What happens here isn't the end. This is the beginning. It's what happens now, this next week, as we go back out. Amen? Go with God. He loves you more than you'll ever know.